Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Welcome to you, too, Shannon. Oh, thanks so much. Happy to be here. I don't really even know what that meant. No, I don't know what it meant either, but you did say welcome, so maybe it meant that. Okay. All right. You were going to update us or chat a little bit about Ezra Miller. (sighs) Big sigh. This is a really sad case because mm-hmm. there's so much going on i mean first it started with these assaults mm-hmm. and then it now apparently they have been accused of grooming a 12 year old girl mm. and the parents are trying to find them mm-hmm. Appar- yeah. apparently the girl keeps saying that her parents are wrong and she's totally fine but of course she's young and may not even understand the depths of what happened yeah, Warner, there's so much we don't know. So much we don't know. Warner Brothers, DC, all of these guys are dropping them. Mm-hmm. So he will, he's he's done. I mean, he's... Yeah, for right now, they're just done, I guess. I, I mean, it's... it's a the, la- <sighs> the last that I heard is that they pulled off a couple of... Inst- they pulled their Instagram account off social media after posting some really evasive ominous mm-hmm. posts about you'll never find me i'm in another world alternate yeah. universe or things like yeah so much i mean well there's so much the i guess the parents of this young woman have and i'm assuming it's she identifies as a she and all that i just don't know yeah that's how she's listed in here okay gotcha that's accurate in the in the media that's how mm-hmm. she's referred to but I, I know her parents have talked all about how he groomed her and how he did it with all these sort of alternate reality theories and all of this all the stuff that you know we've been talking about a lot lately with the cult leaders and different things so yeah. that's how they're kind of branding him in the media i don't know that that's what's actually yeah, we'll happening see. we'll see because it is an ongoing saga and even you know even as of this recording that's kind of what we know and maybe by the time this airs it'll be something else but for the time being they're they're hiding out yeah one of his one of their last uh memes was you you cannot touch me i'm in another universe i don't know he's very special apparently so they they are very special apparently that's where we are pretty sad yeah it is sad on another mental health note since we're on that train sure in la times this week there was an article on how the 988 hotline could be a game changer for mental health or a flop depending on whether people begin to use it so for those of you who do not know what the 988 is um the 911 system which is our emergency system in the u.s people dial is an i mean people the the 911 Operators can become incredibly overwhelmed. They're used to the calls being primarily around physical stuff or me- medical stuff. Um, and a lot of the mental health calls, really, they, the people have to call a much longer line. It's much harder to remember. So on July 16th, 988 will become the equivalent hotline for mental health emergencies. 
The launch will occur two years after Congress passed the National Suicide Designation Act of 2020, leaving the particulars of implementation to individual states. But the change will be a missed opportunity if states cannot clear significant hurdles, funding the expanded crisis response system and making sure people know it's available. So, you know, the article goes on to talk about how there is a clear need for a hotline tailored to mental health emergencies because it is separate and... You know, we have like 75 different suicide hotlines and things like that. It would be really nice if we just had a streamline like we do for medical health. So people just know, hey, I just have to dial these three numbers and I can get there. And um, we know that the easier access someone has to a resource, the more likely they're going to use it. Absolutely. Yeah. And because some of my foundational work was done in, in crisis work, you know, I've been hearing about this for several years, them, tr- them working on this and working on making mm-hmm. it happen. And I've got a couple of uh, ex-colleagues that are kind of involved in that and working for the local places that are going to be in charge of it. And it's been really interesting to hear the growth of it. And, and if you're a mental health worker, there's jobs available mm-hmm. because they're going to need a lot of people. There are, our industry is actually a huge growth industry because honestly, a qualified person has has a lot of opportunity right now. Mental health is not an area of our world in America where you have to struggle to find a job. Right. There are lots of jobs. There's lots of different kinds of jobs. There's lots of levels of jobs. There's entry level. There's all the way up to being, you know, 25 years experience or something. Like there's jobs all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this will add to that. In fact... So many jobs that right now, especially because people are always looking for remote jobs now, when you have a job that you need filled with a a person who's actually going to come to work, they're giving all kinds of bonuses. I mean, the agency I work for, it's like a clinician gets like a, at the time of this recording, it's like $7,500 bonus just to get hired as a clinician in my program because, you know, nobody wants to go to work anymore. It's true. <laughs> and mental health in many, especially agency work, especially in the acuity that we deal with, is an in-person kind of situation. Yep. So anyway, I had uh, in other news, <laughs> <laughs> porn star. Lighten it up. Nacho Vidal held in Spain after a man dies in a toad venom ritual. <laughs> Wait, so, the name is Nacho? Uh-huh. Porn star. Nacho. Male, female, non-binary. Vidal. I'm not going to tell you. Nacho. Just kidding. We're going to find out. Okay. We're going to find out right now. <laughs> There's a picture of him. I don't know. He, he, his gender expression looks male. Nacho. What's his last name? I'm looking him up. Vidal. I told you. No, I forgot. Vidal Sassoon. Okay. All right. So let me tell you the story. Okay. A Spanish porn star is being investigated on suspicion of manslaughter after a photographer died during a toad venom ritual, police say. Nacho Vidal, 46 years old, and two others were briefly detained over this particular death. Spanish police said the photographer died after inhaling the poison of a North American toad. The mystic ritual, quote-unquote, reportedly took place at Mr. Vidal's home near the southern city of Valencia last July, a year ago. A lawyer for Mr. Vidal said his client considers himself to be innocent, describing the death as an unfortunate accident. The photographer named Jose Luis Abad by Spanish media used a pipe to inhale 
the substance, which is secreted from the glands of the bufo alvarius. I'm guessing that means toad. <laughs> <laughs> a bufo. I just want to say, look, a bufo alvarius. Every time, okay, go into the woods. <clears throat> wow. The toad, also known as the Colorado River toad, uses the powerful toxin to defend itself, of course, against predators in Mexico and southwestern U.S. states, where it is found in the Sonoran Desert. Of course. I mean, animals don't have poisons for no reason. I just found a, a picture of Nacho Vidal mm -hmm. with, sitting next to a toad. Oh, yeah. see, they're making it a thing. Yeah, they're making it a thing. And they're sort of saying he looks like a toad, I imagine, in that picture. I, it kind of does. <laughs> Known by chemists as 5-MeO-DMT, the natural substance is said to induce an intense psychedelic state when consumed by users, earning it the name of the God molecule. So, of course, they were, you know, trying to get otherworldly. A study from 2019 suggested the substance may have therapeutic properties such as easing anxiety and depression, but acknowledged there was a limited understanding of the effects on humans. Well, so this is that idea now that we have idea. I'm actually doing a mini cast on this. That's being studied. See how smart we are. <laughs> our mini casts are part of our Patreon membership. So it's we have just a really funny how that happened because I have a <laughs> mini cast today on psychedelics oh, nice. used in psychotherapy. Nice. So those of you who are patrons or who want to be patrons, you'll be listening to that every Monday. We come up with extra content. So, but this is the, the idea where oh, there's a lot of studies and Kathy will go into something in that realm in one of the mini casts. But there's a lot of studies around how psychedelics transform mental health and are transforming mental health. And what do we think about that? And there's pros and cons. There's research for both sides and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And and what are you targeting when you use it is also really important. I think these guys are just trying to, you know, yeah, hi, feel better, whatever it was. Um, I don't think there's any microdosing going on here psychedelics they were you know using some form of nacho vidal a bufo alvarius <laughs> okay so mr vidal has previously promoted the use of the toad's venom online including in his youtube videos so he was a known toad snorter well, I mean, he's a porn star. Isn't that what they... Oh, okay. Yeah. The actor who has featured in hundreds of pornographic movies had been under investigation, actually, for 11 months over the death of the photographer. So there you go. So they've been investigating him for a long while, apparently. Mr. Vidal and the two other suspects were arrested on suspicion of manslaughter and violating public health laws, of course. All three were released provisionally. So... They investigators apparently discovered the toad rituals were being carried out regularly on the grounds and that they offered medicinal benefits and that's why they were doing it. But, you know, the apparently, quote unquote, harmless ancestral ritual posed as a serious health risk, attracting people who were easily influenced, vulnerable or who were seeking help for illnesses or addictions using alternative methods. So. Here we are in the cult world. <laughs> like, that's what you're trying to, when you, I'm not saying he was trying to have a cult, but that those are the kinds of people you're trying to attract. And that's what you're trying to do to people. You want people who are is easily influenced. And I'm sort of knee deep in my Jim Jones research right now, too. So, and we've been doing a lot of culty stuff. So there's that. There's that. Mr. Vidal's lawyer, Daniel Salvador, said the photographer had previously tried that substance and wanted to try it again. So they're trying to establish that he was a willing participant and he did it of his own volition and that, you know, 
All things be told, with all due respect to the dead man and his family, Nacho maintains that the consumption of the venom was completely voluntary, which, of course, will be a big thing. With the I mean, the case. man can't speak for himself anymore, so we don't know. We really don't know. And so that I imagine if it ever goes to trial, if it if it goes to trial, they'll try to do that. Otherwise, they'll just settle because they won't have enough evidence one way or the other because the only people that were there are people saying he did it of his own volition. So correct. There it is. Now, the next thing we would really like to do <laughs> is something we like to call Yep. Upon editing that, I will attempt not to have blown your eardrums out, dear listener. That translates to Horror Facts <laughs> with Kath. Everyone's favorite part of the show. For real. Shannon, are you ready? I'm ready. Got my pen. Writing down my stuff. Number one. Number one. What was the first horror film filmed in color? A, The Curse of Frankenstein. B, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Or three, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. C. Just kidding. I, you said three, so I was just oh, correcting sorry. you. <laughs> A, Are two. Now, I'm, now I'm real. F. I, I, foul. <laughs> Number two. Yeah. What hit crime show was originally titled Northwest Passage? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I can tell when she knows them because she gets real excited. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, know I know that one. one. I mean, I'm not always right, but. <laughs> Number three. What is the oldest branded candy in the U.S. and a popular Halloween candy for kids in the 70s? Mm-hmm. Number four, this is a twofer. There's two answers to this. You ready? I know what a twofer is. How long did it take for the Titanic to sink? That's the first prong. The second, (laughs) how many years did it take for the ship to be discovered? Okay. And five... Rob Zombie was a production assistant on what late 80s children's show? <laughs> See, I'm, 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 I'm learning what you know. <laughs> well, it's also about the listener too, right? No, it's way more fun for the listener to watch you struggle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's what I've heard anyway. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Ask Pepper. Okay. <laughs> From Pepper is where you've heard that. That's your data point. Actually, Pepper doesn't like to let anyone struggle. She puts right in the Discord when, oh, I'll type it in. Pepper is a a sweetheart and she, you know. She doesn't want to see anyone struggle. She doesn't want to wait. That's really what it is. To struggle. All right. Thanks, you guys. We'll be right back. Today on the show, we are going to talk about Warren Jeffs. Keep sweet. Pray and obey.
Hey, everybody. Today on the show, we are going to talk about Warren Jeffs and the American documentary miniseries that's on Netflix, which is called Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, which is something that Warren Jeffs used to say to his followers. Uh, It's about the polygamous FLDS church, a radical offshoot of the mainstream mainstream Mormonism. We want to make sure that you understand, we understand that Warren Jefferson is an extremist, and this is not a vilification of the whole Mormon religion. This is, you know, all religions, hell, all societies, all politics have extremists, and this guy was an extremist, that's for sure. What did you think of the documentary in general, Kathy? I actually really appreciated that the documentary, I thought it was really well done. It was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It was, um, I think because of the emotions it elicited, we watch a lot of these documentaries. We do. do. And we know a lot of these themes. Yes. But I think that this documentary, I have so much written down from some of the women and the young women who um, testified to what happened to them and just what this cult was mm-hmm. it was incredibly disturbing and i think it just emphasized the objectification of women and and young girls in fundamentalist religions where it goes to such an extreme that these women are literally bre- these girls are bred to become objects for sex and breeding and you know cooking, cleaning, all of that stuff. I mean, they, it really was an uncomfortable, but I thought it was done really well. I thought it was done really well too. And I think some of the things that make it have the, some of the things that make me believe or have me rank it highly, because I think because we watch so many of these, it's always interested to know like what makes the good ones good. And we've done, uh, I think we did a mini cast on that you know, a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I like pretty much binged this one. Like when the episode was over, I'm like, I need to continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's one of the things they did really well is they, they had enough plot, they had enough going mm-hmm. on in the real life story, and then they crafted, they produced each episode so that you were, you had a, you had a hook to go to the next mm-hmm. one. So that was really helpful. They produced it like a real story, and a, and that's really helpful. The other thing is that they had a lot of former FLDS members. And as we know, that we we have a higher expectation of true crime documentaries now. We in, want it to be new. Right. New. And including Warren Jeff's brother. Yeah. And so the brother and the, the members and wives and mm-hmm. children and all of that were all there and they could share their experiences from from all the way through like when they believed and when they cared about it and believed everything he said to now and how they're processing that so but not in a boring dry way no no in a very well produced well edited way in a true crime way in a true crime way which is Mm -hmm. what audiences expect and i realize that there are real people suffering and this church this um the offshoot, the uh, FLDS still exists. And so there are still people suffering uh, and also most likely still people believing and having that be their their whole world. And so I don't want to take away from that, but it still exists. And so that that's also one of the more disturbing things about this is yeah. this isn't 50, 60 years ago. You know? No, I mean, he, now. He's, he's still barking orders from prison. Yeah. You know? Right. When when all this starts. So and the amount of women that go visit him. Anyway, we'll get into all that. But yes, it was really well done, I think. So I wanted to go over just some of the things that 
I learned because I didn't really know anything about Warren Jeffs before watching this documentary. So there were a lot of disturbing things about what he did and who he was. And so I just kind of wanted to go over a little bit of that and then, and we'll just discuss each thing. And I have a feeling like the personality and all of that will come out as we discuss it. So, I mean, one of the things that we know about Warren Jeffs and one of the things that he was indicted for and went to prison for is that he married a 12 year old Mm -hmm. and there was a ceremonial bed come to find out where he then would rape them his all of his wives I, I imagine the older ones obviously could consent or not i don't know how many of those were raped but he was convicted for two because of the underage element so this 12 year old is one of the reasons why he's in prison and with that ceremonial bed he would do he would make recordings of those conversations and of that sex yeah so i'll maybe give a little bit of um so to add to that some of the stuff that was mentioned in the documentary to give some context to the faith if that's what you want to call it was men were as good as as many wives as they had so i mean the more wives you had the closer you were to becoming a god in the afterlife right so when they were when they were interviewing warren's brother who is no longer affiliated with the FLDS, he said, you know, women's afterlife wasn't important. They were just wives. That was their whole purpose was to help the man become a God in the afterlife. So nothing about their future, their afterlife was relevant, discussed. It was this massive gray area. So the whole idea was to really get as many wives as you could. And some of these girls were called to marry at 12 is exceptionally young, but most of them were called to marry at 14. They only ended up convicting him for two, but then upon sentencing, the prosecution could offer all sorts of additional information, and that's when they introduced all the marriages and all of the underage people that they weren't using to convict him, but they, they presented all of that evidence around how many wives and all of the different things that he did, and then and then they threw the book at him, 100-plus years, et cetera. I think what was really sad about this too is a couple of the women were talking about one specifically who I felt I had so much empathy for. I don't remember her name. She had the short dark hair. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She was saying, you know, she didn't even understand her sexuality. She didn't know what it meant to get pregnant or how pregnancy worked. No one ever talked to them about that. They purposely kept girls and women naive women were taught to compartmentalize any negative feelings. And that's where that concept of keep sweet, it, keeping them as naive and innocent as children, even as wives when they were older. And so the keep sweet is no, 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 don't go there. Don't question anything. Yeah. Don't, don't feel anything bad. Just keep sweet and be a lady. <sighs> but so the, these consummations were happening on this, uh, bed that they show pictures of oh, in God. the documentary. It's so creepy. Very disturbing. Episode four is very disturbing, but we're telling you about it. And so if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to, but it certainly unfolds in a very dramatic way. And I, and we both recommend the documentary, but there, it was under the guise of sexual training. When you're raping underage women, I would imagine that's part of it. And so in the audio recordings, it, you hear him saying, now here's what we're going to do and here's Ugh. the way you should do it and da da da. And there, what they discovered was that there were, some of his wives were in the room when this was happening. Mm -hmm. So it's 
interesting. I don't know. They didn't, they didn't talk at all about this in the audio, in the documentary. None of those women were brought up on charges. He did talk about having multiple wives in um, having sex with him at the same time. But I think they were, these were wives that were of age that he would have them, you know, basically watch, watch or, or touch each other. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it went into as explicitly as, you know, some of the articles we looked at where yeah, the recordings, the recordings and the, yeah, it's so, so sad. What they show in the documentary, I should say is disturbing because of your own imagination of what's going on. They totally. don't show anything. And they also don't, they do not share parts of the audio recordings that I am sure are much more disturbing. They give you a sense of it, maybe like 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there. They give you a sense of it and it's disturbing, but you can imagine what the rest of it sounds like. And they don't, they don't share that. So just for those of you who are afraid it would be too, too much. They do hold back as far as I'm concerned, but you know, he had 70 plus wives. So, some of them were in the room when he was sexually assaulting each and every one of them, and especially what we can imagine are his child brides, anybody under 16, because 16 was the consenting, which, of course, we can all say, like, yeah, well, at 16, I knew nothing, but it is the, I think it was the consenting age, 16, 16 or 18. 16 in that state. Yeah, 16 in that state, so. And then they would they would go to certain states to make sure that the actual marriages were done in an area that they would not get in trouble. I think they went to somewhere where yeah, it was they would 16. Like cross the border. Yeah, cross the border. Cause I think it was 18 there. Mm-hmm. I feel like I remember that in the documentary, it was 18 there and they would cross the border to where it was 16 to. And more, well, more of that manipulation. He mm-hmm. reframed sexual misconduct as heavenly sessions. Yeah, I see that. He, he would also, you know, if he had a problem with one of the males in the tribe, so to speak, in the flock is probably a better word, he would excommunicate them. He would say, well, this person is not with God, etc." And he would get rid of men. And, and they, they talked about that quite a bit. And there were men in this documentary. Like I said, they have a lot of great people talking from experience. They're all survivors. And so there were a lot of men in there talking about how, when they were excommunicated and basically they're just brought into church and told they're done and they had to leave and not say goodbye to their families and they had to leave their wives and children there. And then Jeff's would just reassign them to a new man, the wives yeah. and children to new men and often himself. Yeah. And that's how he ended up with 70 different wives and 40 billion children. He's just doing the prophet's will. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Heavenly sessions. (laughs) Yeah. But then of course what they ended up finding out now, I don't remember any of this in the documentary, but I also wasn't, I could have blacked it out is that he had a pedophilic history far before this. In Mm -hmm. other words, he was uh, assaulting his own family members, mm-hmm. his extended family members, niece, nephews, sister, sisters, daughters. Mother, I think, too. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. So that's one of the things they did not really tackle in the documentary. They didn't go that direction. But other stuff that we've read talks about how he made confessions later in court and over the phone when he was making phone calls from court because, I mean, from jail because those things are recorded, of course, in case no one knew. 
they're recording you. So ridiculous. The uh, jailhouse confessions are so not confidential. But anyway, he kept a journal and all of that. And so he talked about all that, which doesn't surprise you, I imagine, Kathy, since you work with, uh, have worked a lot with people who suffer from pedophilia and Mm -hmm. have that uh, orientation towards the world. He was, I mean, he had all of the elements of the grooming down. Um, A couple of things that he did that they note in the documentary is he created an academic curriculum specifically for women that was to clear anything but doing the prophet's will. So all of their academia, they weren't doing math and science and history. And he depersonalized, de-individualized them, and they became just these objects for his affection and his pleasure. And, but he, he delivered it, delivered it in a way that, you know, he was very soft spoken and the way that he would groom them would be saying, you know, this, this whole academic curriculum is for you to, you know, do the prophet's will. And it was all about breaking them down. So he starts there. He also makes them feel very special. If they're a chosen wife, then little by little, he, starts to get rid of even the little bit of autonomy and individuality that they had in their dress and their hair, which was not much, Mm. but he starts to um, have them get rid of denim. Any, any denim uh, has then has them start to get rid of any patterns. Um, They only had like two or three ways they were allowed to do their hair. They were meant to obey, you know, that was it to get their life eternal. And they were taught that if they did anything against that, that they would just not get, eternal life, even though they didn't even really speak much about what that meant for women. No, he, one of the things he also did, this is just such a flipping predator. He specifically would look for girls who demonstrated more independence and autonomy. And if they appeared more independent, he would marry them off young and make sure that they were pregnant to lock them in. So there were one or two girls that he spoke about in the documentary or that the girls spoke up and said, you know, I just, I was not adhering as much. And he made sure to lock me down fast and get me married off. So all of this was incredibly intentional and done in such a grooming and manipulative and controlling way. He was a very awkward man. Not that, not that there is a, a, a physical profile to what a pedophile looks like, but man, he's got a creep factor beyond belief when you take a look at him. He really does. And he was, he was the awkward brother that was pretty much ignored and rejected as a child. And once he was given this duty because his mother believed that he was the best fit, I think it was his mother. He becomes, you know, the, the next prophet after, um, ruling Jeff's dies that he it's almost like this revenge for him you know where it's like i've never had power i've never had a woman look at me i've never had anyone interested in me and i'm going to use this whole thing and construct my own universe for my pleasure Mm -hmm. and here we are he does a lot of the things that cult leaders do he eventually says that he's a god Mm -hmm. and that's always when you I mean, if you didn't know it from the pedophilia, the rape, the restricting movement, controlling your every thought and whim and banning books and all the things he did, it's like if you if you didn't know it from that, the time you also you definitely know they've crossed over into cult land is when they're no longer preaching the word of God. They're saying that they're God and that they're the ones getting the messages. It's just like when uh, we talked about the way down. 
with Gwen Shamblin. It's right. the same situation. I'm researching Jim Jones right now. It's the same situation. Eventually, they they all start out by talking about God as a separate entity, and then eventually God is them. And so that that's a real theme I'm seeing. I see in a lot of the religious cultists. I also know, I believe the other conviction was for a 14-year-old girl mm-hmm. that he had uh, married off, right? Was I believe, it, yeah, I believe so. wasn't married to him. He had that, uh, he was part of that where he, she was supposed to marry her cousin or something. I don't, oh, God. I don't exactly remember. But I also know that different from Jim Jones, he was a racist. This guy, Warren Jeffs, was a racist. He was a homophobe. He, <laughs> the irony. He, you know, uh, all of that. So, you know, those kinds of beliefs vary from sure. cult leader to cult leader. Jim Jones was definitely spent the first half of his preacher career his whole vibe was getting the african community to come in and and mm-hmm. and be a part of it and he adopted a lot of kids and he he created like he quote unquote created the rainbow family and and his message was very much about equality and that was that was the issue of the day when he was coming up in the preacher land. So that would have been very different from this, where Warren Jeffs was very clearly and has been stated that he was trying to create a master race. It was very, very racist what he was doing. And he was picking women that could do that with him and then coupling men and women that look like that for him, for his community. And so there was this... Hitler-esque situation happening, mm-hmm. only with pedophilia. Mm-hmm. I did not know too much about this, and now that I do, it's it's really it's really difficult to know that this faction still exists, and that there's still a lot of families, a lot of kids, a lot of people carrying this on, and living their lives in this manner and taking direction from him from jail. It's really disturbing. It's very disturbing. The amount of women who could not, and and, you know, just like um, I think in any belief or, or abusive relationship, because you've committed to it for so long, there's the cognitive dissonance of this must be right, or this must be the way, because what would it mean if it wasn't? And these women, and, and some of these men were victims as well. Um, you know, what it would mean if they had to look at this and realize that their entire life was not only a lie, that there was this whole other world out there with freedom and autonomy and independence and things. They had to look at that as bad. They had, they'd been in it for so long and the, some of the ones who left, you know, when they're interviewed and things like that, talking about how long it took for them to really even understand. I love, again, the woman, I, I wish I remembered her because I don't want to depersonalize her, but she had the short, short, dark hair. And when she's talking about how when she decides to leave and that image of the truck takes off and she's behind it and the doors open and all of her dresses and everything's fly out. She's like, it just let me know that this was going to be a new beginning. And all of her stuff that was assigned to that cult flew out of the truck. And that was a really like beautiful piece of the dock. I think when you see the freedom part set in, I think it was lovely and that is the way they ended the documentary and I thought that was a 
like I said, I think it, this was really well directed and produced because mm-hmm. that stuff, when you're doing a documentary, that's all the directors and producers because they've just got thousands and thousands of hours of video and then they have to craft it into a story for all of us to watch. And so I just think that's what really elevates the really great documentaries is when they have new stuff or stuff we haven't talked about, people that were actually a part of it that are going to tell you what it was like and what it wasn't like. It lends that credibility. Mm-hmm. And then just crafting it into that story, I thought they really did a great job. They did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want ha- to have anybody deal with this kind of issue, obviously, but it is one of the things I read and try to understand a lot of because I think distorting people's faith and beliefs has always been something that I've been intrigued by. Mm-hmm. And maybe when we do uh, the Jones stories and our my next series, we can talk about why that is in my personal life, probably for a mini cast. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit more personal in our Patreon membership and stuff in the mini cast. And I'm, I'm also going to start to talk about my research for the, for the show that we will give all all of you, you don't have to be a patron to, to enjoy the show that we'll put together for that. But I'm going to actually start to just share my research with the patrons and stuff. But this kind of guy, this kind of situation where I really relate to what you said, Kathy, and that you just feel heartbroken for the people because although we can vilify victims and, and try not, and try and, you know, say like, how could you be a part of that. Oh, that's a lot of what our culture does is like, wow, they just don't understand how anyone could be a part of it. And I think, and they do a great job of this in the documentary. They set it up in the beginning. Like I was just looking for salvation. I was looking for a place to have community, a place yeah. to have a family, a, a safe, rural, beautiful place and to worship God. And, mm-hmm. and, and that just is such a, it's really just such a human kind of need yeah. for belief system and faith and 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 all of that and and then then there are these people out there over and over and over again mm-hmm. that will distort that for mm-hmm. you and we're just all about learning how not to how exploitation not to get into that because we are all susceptible to it yeah the exploitation right take yeah. someone's vulnerabilities take someone's passion use it against them. Yep. And that's how we're all susceptible to cults because we all have that in us. Sure. This might not, you know, God might not be that for you. Right. But something else might. <laughs> we see it, we see it with diet trends. Yes. We see it with exercise. Or yeah. or being anti somebody. That's you know? oh, if right. you're anti Trump or during the Trump era and you were anti Trump and you got sucked into all of that news and all of that stuff, it's like that very easily someone could come along and and, and storm the Capitol. Perhaps. Perhaps. Gosh, that happened. So yeah. that's what I mean. Like any belief you have can be taken to an extremist point just with like the given set of circumstances. So mm-hmm. this was really great. Thank you for watching it. I thought it was a good a good. I really addition. enjoyed it. I was not expecting to be like, oh, I got to get to the next episode. I know me neither, yeah. but it was a good addition to our true crime doc yeah, episodes. and just and and just having the interview with Leah, I mean, it yeah, just adds and absolutely. and obviously, you know, we, we Shannon and I want to make that distinction. We did it early on, but just to make sure people know that we're not affiliating the um, the FLDS with the Mormon faith, but obviously, it is a an extreme extension of the basic philosophies of it. So. Great, thank you. Yeah, worth reiterating for sure. And I'm glad you brought up Leah's book again because it was. Well, it was good. It was so good. Very you informative. Totally go out and get it. So we will take a break and we will be right back and we will talk about some movies and books. 
Thanks so much. back let's talk movies shall we let's do it (laughs) did you want to start with the movie that we both just ended up seeing recently yeah i wanted to talk about mad god okay um i just wanted to maybe you and i didn't watch it together i watched it earlier the morning it came out Mm -hmm. because i know i wasn't going to be able to watch it with all of you so i i didn't get to watch all the commentary when you guys were watching it so mad god's a stop-motion animated horror film um, produced and directed by Phil Tippett, who's pretty much done everything from Star Wars to RoboCop to Jurassic Park. I mean, he's an effects guy and he's incredible. The movie was completed in 2021, but was just released on Shutter um, in June of this year. It was in production for over a period of 30 years, which is really crazy. It's a combination of live action, stop motion, and CGI. So you have everything from like claymation to live action to CGI. It, there, there's actually no dialogue in the film other than sounds and music and what appears to be a little bit of a language between the monsters. Yeah, for sure. It's incredibly bizarre. People have different interpretations of what the film actually represents. But I I guess before I go into a little bit of what, I, th- I think I have some stuff here on what Tippett had said the story itself was whatever for me like you know it was just kind of nutty and it had some really cool parts to it but visually I've never seen anything quite like this and I thought it was pretty cool yeah it's uh, I think I said something about you know it's like a visual meal right and um Mm -hmm. he worked on it for over 30 years but what he did was he started it a really long time ago and then when the with the advent of the popularity of CGI and all of the big the big projects he was working on that had so much CGI, he just really shelled it because he figured like, well, no one's going to watch that, watch this. No one's going to be interested. And I'm, I don't, it's a lot of work. And so I don't, so he just shelled it for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. And then he, he brought it back out and, and finished it, which I'm, I'm so glad he did. The story, my understanding when I was watching it and then looking up stuff and reading about it is very simply it's sort of these creatures are trying to recreate their world because their world is a kind of a post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. It's very gross. <laughs> it's There's a lot of gory, grisly, disgusting things going on. Mm-hmm. So be ready for that. It's all in claymation, but it's still gross and, uh, and, and violent and all of that. But, and then they're, they're trying to create something to create a new world. And then I won't ruin the end of it in case some of you do care about the story. But there's, you know, a result that happens. But so there's like aliens and witches and alchemists and creatures, mad scientists, demons and, and mad scientists and bloody do, babies. Do you know the part, the part that warriors, the part that cracked me up, was when the guy goes up to one of the little monsters and does like the titty twister yeah. on him. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah, there's like poop and mannequins, penises and, and boobies and, yeah, and all this all weird stuff. He does all the stuff, crying bloody babies. But yeah, it really has to do. You know, they they attempt to recreate this 
world post-apocalypse. And uh, David Lynch had made several comments about like the brilliance of it, which to me is so appropriate just because there are elements of it that really reminded me of a racer head. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's really striking. It's very striking. So, you know, it's, you may not, uh, the story is bizarre and it's kind of what you make of it, but visually, even if you watch like 10, 10 minutes of it, it's pretty groundbreaking. There's some amazing lighting that he uses. It's just really, yeah. yeah, visually it's, it's really stunning. And I mean, in an age of what I would say is a lot of CGI exhaustion, you know, yes. like I'm just exhausted by it. It's really wonderful to have these kinds of horror experiences that have practical effects and, and claymation and, and, and animation even in all of the different things that we can have visually. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. I'm glad you brought it up. That yeah. was a lot of fun. We watched it with our patrons in our, in our private discord and it was, it was fun. <laughs> you know, we're all aficionados and appreciators. So, but of course everyone had reaction. Sure. <laughs> I watched a movie called Torn Hearts, which is a movie. Oh, how was that? It's actually a movie that you guys might have heard if you listen to the show really, really regularly. I had talked about it early on, and then you might have heard me do some ads for it because that I just thought, let's do that. We we do some ads along the way. You hear my voice in some of these ads for movies, and so I we work with um, one particular company that that I try to promote some films for them because that's good. (laughs) We like that. But I actually uh, was able to watch Torn Hearts and it's a 2020 movie, 2022 movie horror, 97 minutes long. It's gotten pretty good reviews. It's got Katie Seagal in it. I mean, that's really why that's why, why you watch it. Yeah. Like when they pitched me to it, like, Hey, do you want to do this, this promo thing? And I was like, Katie Seagal. Yeah. So this is Blumhouse Television and Epics together present the cautionary tale of a rise to stardom set in the iconic Nashville country music scene. So basically, the basic premise is that Katie Seagal is kind of the the older generation of country music superstardom. And then there are these two young girls, two friends, two rising artists who want to have their big break and pretty much one that will do anything for that. They kind of, they pilgrimage to Katie Seagal's home who plays Harper Dutch, I believe, and the mansion. And they, they kind of basically just go like, knock, knock, knock. Hello. (laughs) Love us, you know? And then the mental and physical torment ensues. Basically. I really enjoyed this. It is a very slow burn. I will tell you that it's very much the third act is where you get any kind of action or horrific stuff. You have to wait a really long time. So for the average horror viewer, if you're not enjoying this particular story or milieu, I have a feeling one of the comments will be like, get to it. You know, that kind of thing where yeah. we're, 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 we're impatient as audiences. I like a slow burn. Not everybody does, but I don't want it to be so slow that I'm asleep before anything happens. But because of Katie Seagal and these two young women who are in it, who are really very good, the acting is, is mm-hmm. really spot on. I would recommend this movie. Cool. I, I enjoyed it. It's a good watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I watched a movie on Shudder. It's actually from 2018, but... Likely in season five, I'm going to be preparing to talk about Dennis Rader, who's the BTK. She means our season five, ladies and gentlemen. Our season that five. starts in September. So uh, this movie, I've always been really fascinated by the psychology of Dennis Rader. And although this is not a movie necessarily about him, it's heavily influenced by 
his life and his fan, like the family that he raised and the religiosity of the family. And this movie stars uh, Dylan McDermott and Samantha Mathis, and it's called The Clove Hitch Killer. After Tyler, the son, finds a cache of disturbing images in his father's possession, he begins to suspect that the man he trusts most in the world may be responsible for a series of unsolved murders. The movie, there's nothing deeply profound per se about the movie. I mean, honestly, it could have been made for TV on a Monday night, like a Monday night movie. But I thought that the the story, Dylan McDermott's performance was really good. And it really does set the stage for what we know about Dennis Rader, which was for decades, he was very active in his church. His wife was very religious. I believe he only had daughters. I don't think he had a son in this movie. There's a son who starts to pick up on the fact that something's wrong with dad. I know that Dennis Rader's daughter put out a book shortly after, uh, I think it's been maybe five years since the book has come out talking about what it was like growing up with him and always suspecting like there was one room in their house that was always locked, but no one ever really questioned it in the film. There's, um, he has a shed that kind of serves the same thing. So it's a lot, you know, there's parallels to it, which was really interesting. I, I thought it was, I actually thought it was pretty good. I've heard good things about it. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you watched it because it was, it's kind of on my list. I just haven't gotten to I, it yet. I think it's worth a watch. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard good things. I mean, it's not a brand new movie. No, so. it's from 18. Yeah. So I've, I've heard some good things and I saw that it just got put back on shutter yep. or on shutter for the first time. So that's really cool. I watched, a movie called Incident in a Ghostland. Mm. Kathy and I did an interview with a woman who writes for and runs and owns the website Scary Matters. Mm-hmm. Is it Matters with an S? Matter. Matter. Scarymatter.com. We did an interview with her and we were talking with her about lots of different movies. And she actually brought that movie up and she's like, oh, have you seen it? And I was like, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And it's by a filmmaker who I really like so this is by the same guy who did martyrs the original martyrs Mm -hmm. incident in a ghost land or sometimes just called ghost land for whatever reason you know americans (laughs) english speakers we change the titles whatever this is 2018 this is horror you guys may have seen this except for if you don't go in for more extreme horror more more psychologically dark than your average psychological darkness. So Martyrs, as you guys know, oh, oh my gosh, you may not know this, but one of my very favorite horror movies and very extreme, very sadistic, but also just like levels and gore and creeps and all of that. So this movie, Incident with the Ghostland, has the same similar feel in the sense that 16 years after a traumatic event, a mother and two daughters reunite at the house where it happened, and that's when things get strange. So this director, Pascal Logier, I assume is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Not my native language, no, obviously. It's not. <laughs> oh, oh, shut up. Okay. Just shut up now. I loved it. Awesome. It's not... I'll put it on my list. I have I've, been, no I've been wanting to watch it. I have no idea if you like it or not. <laughs> I like studies of sadistic personalities... Mm-hmm. where there is no line. So the bad people in this movie are absolutely sadists. And also it's got Texas Chainsaw vibes, but it's not stupid. I saw some reviews like, oh, it's a knockoff, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. 
this this is great. This is a this is a great interesting well slasher basically. I mean, a lot of people have their opinions about this filmmaker, etc. But I think this one and Mart I mean, Martyrs is just freaking transcendent. But this is good too. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah, I just wrote it down because I remember Marla talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marla's who interviewed us through Scary Matter. And um, I forgot to check it out. And I, I definitely will. I'm reading a description of it right now. And it actually sounds like something I'd really like. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's squeamish. It's you get all those. There's a f- couple of scenes that are like, oh, hey, I'll oh tell my. you what I think. Oh I'll watch my. it. I'll tell you what I think. I can't wait. The listeners, <laughs> the listeners just are on the edge of their uh, seat they are. for that. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. I watched a movie. I I love Maggie Q, and I'll really watch anything that she's in. But I watched a movie called Death of Me that came out in 2020, American horror film. It's uh, very similar to maybe like films like The Wicker Man, where the, it it really has a lot to do with. So folk horror? Or? Uh, there's a folk, there's certainly a folk horror piece to it, but mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with the island and the people sort of being the, yeah, not the antihero, but the, the villain, I guess. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. Okay. So an American couple vacationing on a remote island in Thailand must uncover why they have woken up uh, with no recollection of recent events. The first major piece of the puzzle they find is a strange and disturbing video of the previous night that shows one of them killing the other. So as the movie continues, she's Maggie Q is certainly the, the focus, although Luke Hemsworth who plays her husband's, I think pretty good in this as well. Great. And so you start to you, the, you watch it from the vantage point of her. And so you don't really know what she's experiencing, whether it's real or she's imagining it. And uh, without giving too much away, it's really a movie that focuses on sacrifice, human sacrifice, and that could mean uh, self-sacrifice or the sacrifice of the other in order to save something um, for the greater good. Sure. And so she, the only thing I will say is she ends up becoming pregnant and the symbolism of that is she essentially is carrying the future of this island and Mm -hmm. so there there's a lot of like sacrificial stuff going on and a lot of like you said the folk horror stuff the the reviews don't give it anything special but i actually thought it was pretty good and i just like her i like watching her right and i think that makes a huge difference in any movie right yeah you like one of the people and you just want to be in their world for a little while Mm mm-hmm it's and if bizarre. You like the, and if you like the world, okay, then you, it's kind of like worth a watch type of deal. Yeah, the performances, I thought the performances were really good in it. She did another movie this year, too, that I, I'll find the name of it as we're talking, that uh, The Protégé. Oh, yeah. if you guys have not seen The Protégé, yeah. that is so good. She's just really diverse. Well, and I don't remember Death of Me, so, but I think I'd like to rewatch that because I don't, I don't really remember, so I'd like to watch. Uh, maybe I'll rewatch it. Yeah, from let me that, know what you think from your vantage point and and what you thought of it. Because okay. sometimes, sometimes a second watch will help. Uh, I wanted to talk about a movie that I just watched called Off Season. It's a twenty twenty one horror that uh, came to Shutter in June, and so I watched it. Strong performances. It's a supernatural horror film. Upon receiving a mysterious letter that her mother's gravesite has been vandalized, Marie quickly returns to the isolated offshore island where her late mother is buried. 
When she arrives, she discovers that the island is closing for the off season with the bridges raised until spring, leaving her stranded, basically. One strange interaction with the local townspeople after another, Marie soon realizes that something is not quite right in the small town. She must unveil the mystery behind her mother's troubled past in order to make it out alive. So enticing province and premise. My feelings on this film are mixed. Mm. I thought the performances were were good. Okay. It's Lovecraftian. Okay. So it's slow and confusing, <laughs> as a lot of Lovecraftian stuff is. And it's got a Persephone into hell kind of okay. feeling to it. And I believe it might even be a partial retelling of it, something like that. About halfway through, I was like, this is Persephone <laughs> thing. This is like a Persephone been myth done. thing. Like, well, all of it has, yeah, right? Yeah. You're just trying to like hook, hook on to what the storyteller's sure. like trying to retell. And uh, one of the things I, I read about the writer-director, uh, Mickey Keating, is like, it looks like influences of Lovecraft and John Carpenter and Fulci and all that. So what I will say about this is that with... The idea of it being Lovecraftian and Persephone and all of this, and you hear his influences, what I can say is that the whole film, don't watch it for, you know, some kind of interesting story Mm -hmm. or a treatise on grief as, as is the way these days, because that's obviously what the description kind of wants you to think. It's much more... I mean, it had Twin Peaks vibes. It's like, cool. I, like they just leaned into, I just wanted them to lean into that more and be more bizarre because they were teetering on the, this could be bizarre and that would actually really make it work. Okay. But we're actually going to try to be somewhat narrative and tell this story. And I just feel like, oh, I feel like just, you know, throw all that out and go towards it. Because I will say the atmosphere in this film is on point. Like and what's the name of this again? It's called Off Season. Okay, that's what I look. I want to make sure because that's the one I have. I pulled up in front of me. Okay, the atmosphere, the spooky, creepy, misty island, trapped on an island, like all of that is so on point. Like, turn off the lights and watch the first hour of this mm, that's or whatever. Cool. Like that part is super cool. Don't go into it wanting the normal things that you want from any movie. Okay, <laughs> like. A story that makes sense and all of that and a lot of plot points. It just isn't a lot of that, but I enjoyed the mood. The tone of it was yeah. where it Even really... Even the description of it seems like the atmosphere is probably really cool. I'm going to write that one down too. Yeah, like the tone of it and it, it's summertime. I mean, it's a summertime movie. It's a folk horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got the summertime vibe, so I can see why they they grabbed it for July or June actually, because it does have all that vibes. And so I would just say, you know, if you're throwing something on in the background and you want horror vibes, the tone is, is excellent. So, cool. yeah. Very good. And now I'm going to try to guess. <laughs> I'm going to try to guess some answers. I know a couple of them. Like okay. I know, I know. Like I know, I know, you know. I know, I know you know them. some of them. <laughs> yeah. Does the audience know what you know. know that I know? Probably. What would we know? Well, they're like, How would we, we know, know everything. Shannon's dumb and we know everything. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Folks, that was the voice of Shannon's super ego. That's right. Number one, what was the first horror film filmed in color? A, The Curse of Frankenstein. B, 
the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, or, or three, three. <laughs> Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yay. Uh, Frankenstein. Yes. Yay. Curse of Frankenstein. Number two. What hit crime show was originally titled Northwest Passage? Twin Peaks, That's and correct. One of my two favorites. for two. One of my favorites. And she may even have number Super three. Super be damned. What is the oldest branded candy in the United States and a popular Halloween candy for kids in the 70s? In the 70s. Well, I huh? say that because there's this age, like... I have friends of mine who were had a little bit more childhood in the 70s. I'm like late 70s, early 80s. And for all of them, like they love this. And I go, oh. it must have stopped right there because I think these are gross. <laughs> um, if that's what I think it is, I think they're gross too. What is it? Is it that? It's like a licorice candy. Yes. Pink box. Um. Good and plenty. Yes. Oh, I hated those. I know. And there's a generational thing. I still thing. do. I guess it's a generational thing because I don't like them at all. Ugh. Okay. Um, black licorice is a generational thing. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't know anyone I've under never the liked age it. of 55. No, me neither. Who likes black licorice. Okay. Yeah. I mean, now we're going to have people going, I do. <laughs> my dad loves it. Really? Yeah. And all like, and my friend, her mom loves it. And okay. my friend who's in her sixties love it. I'm like, you all grew up with it. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> Number, it's a horror story in itself. Number four. How, okay. Twofer. How long did it take for the Titanic to sink? I don't know. Like five hours or something. Two hours and 40 minutes. All right. <laughs> about the length of the movie. I had twice as long. About the length of the movie. Wow. Which makes sense, right? It does. And then it felt longer in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was exaggerated. Well, and honestly, the movie didn't start with the sinking. I know. But it got there pretty fast. I'm just saying. How many years did it take for the ship to be discovered? Um I don't know, like a hundred years or over seventy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I knew it was a long, long time, but and then this one, if you get this one, you got four out of five. And I think you'll get this one. Yeah, I know this one. Rob Zombie was a production assistant on what late 80s children's show? Pee-wee's Adventure. Yeah, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yes, four Best out of five. for Shannon. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Shannon's Facts with Kath. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> She's all happy now because she got Shannon's Facts with Kath. <laughs> Shannon's Facts she, with Kath. She changes the name every 10 and a half minutes. Well, if, if you're if you're on our Discord, I have Horror Sats with Kath. Oh, my God. It's Those just... are Horror Saturdays. The last Saturday of every month, if you want to be part of Horror Sats with Kath, just join Patreon. I, I gave her an event. It's amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> it's fantastic. She gets so excited. And so does everybody else. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kath. We'll be back next week, of course. But this has been an episode of Terror Talk, and my name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.